while you were away, before we like dig into anything, I mean, since we are a uh, a movie podcast, they just Are announced we? info about the new Planet of the Apes movie, and the new one's going to be called Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. They announced a little bit more of its cast, which is once again actors I do not know, so that's going to be hard trying to sell your movie. Uh, with a 2024 release date. They're going to be monkeys. No, these are going to be, I believe, the humans. There are no more humans. If this is a continuation of the Caesar story, of like the Caesar films, you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, well, no, I thought, I didn't know what the plot was, but I see it now that they're going to play um, the lead ape. Okay. okay. All right. I thought it was a different storyline, but apparently it's taking place after that trilogy. That's right. I thought it was following Caesar's son and the way they set up the, the new version, the new trilogy is that like, it's the seedlings of the world we come to know in the original film. Oh boy. Okay. Well, so you're selling on something that not many of the people watched, unfortunately. You've never watched the original planet of the apes. No, I'm I'm saying those movies didn't have the biggest box office. So like the sequel again, like yes, the original does. The original is one of the great pieces of pieces of sci-fi filmmaking of all time. Yeah, but yeah. then they're like seven sequels later, and one Tim Burton remake later, and they had to totally reinvent the shit and make the like Rise and Dawn and War of the Planet of the Apes of the World. Which fucking god, I love those movies. Talk about a trilogy right Which there. King, Kingdom makes sense for um, for its uh, title. So, all right, mm-hmm. all right. I just thought, I just you know scrolled on Twitter before we started to see what else we can uh, you know over here break. hitting me with surprise news. Not even ready for it. Well, I can hit you with uh, some more news if you want to start. Nah, you can hit us with the first trailer though, if unless that's the news. No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> uh, yes, but with our quick segment into um, trailers, we have um, this movie that we've made mention of uh, prior because of the uh, the film festivals that took place recently. But we got our first look today of Bones and All, which is the new look at Gunnigo. I sorry if I butchered it, but not like you're listening. Um, basically, it starts Timothy Chalamet, Taylor Russell. Wait, and- am I not listening, or are the fans not listening? No, Luca, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to try again. Uh, Gina, <laughs> but and Michael Stahlberg because him in this movie looks fucking terrifying. But anyways, we got our first look uh, of this film. We saw a full length trailer. What they posted online today is a quick ninety second one. Um, but it still basically brings you the plot of the film, which is basically a romance love story uh, about cannibals and how they uh, have come across one another drifting from different areas and figuring out uh, which road to take together. And it looks beautiful uh, and horrifying at the same time. So I I actually cannot wait for that one more than like when you read the plot, you don't think that it's going to kind of come off the page as good, but after seeing our first look about it, it really has this haunting tone to it that I, that I kind of dig. Yeah, there were like levels to this trailer. It definitely felt like a romantic coming of age film to start out with, with this weird cannibalistic mindset twist. And it seems like 
the cannibals of this specific world have some like sixth sense that can help them detect other people that enjoy eating human flesh. Um, but like I was saying, it goes from this like romantic rom-com coming of age film type setup. And then through the trailer, it increased it's the, the tension and the terror. And like, there's a level of, just unease by the time that like the trailer wraps up. And that's what I'm most, uh, most curious about. I like, yeah, this would be a very fun, this, I, this could be a Nicholas Sparks book if you really didn't lean into the more horror elements, but because they're combining the two genres, that's what has me excited for what is to come. And I mean, you got Tim, Tim Shalabim out there and he's just the, the hot ticket for when it comes to young men. So I can imagine he's going to knock it out of the park with this performance. Uh, it'll be great to see this this other actress who I'm not super familiar with. She looks a little familiar. Might have some, seen her in some show in passing or something. But uh, I would call her up and coming. She's already been through the... <laughs> she was the star in the Escape Room movies. That's and then it. She was I knew I saw her somewhere. In Waves. Um. And then she definitely, she was in a bunch of, she's been working through TV shows a lot as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds up and coming to me. Um, but I'm excited. I'm, I honestly, I would think if this gets any kind of awards buzz, I would be surprised because I feel like it's so, uh, what's the word I'm looking avant-garde. Is that, uh, that's a good word. Uh, just not the kind of movie that the, the awards, uh, and the Academy tend to nominate and whatnot. Um, performance, maybe. I I think considering that this film, I mean, it's two thirds of the cast from Call Me by Your Name, and if some people want to go there, you can uh-huh. say that are still in this movie. But I think that it might get recognition in categories you wouldn't expect because it looks technically it looks really. Yeah, what if it's like effects, special effect, all the blood work. And like body parts mutilation. Um, there's also, I mean, there's this movie has known Oscar Steeler in it, uh, Mark Rylance, so that could definitely help their case. But then I guess moving to the next trailer from that, we oh, had- I guess yeah, it's I was about to say movie, but I'm like, why am I second guessing myself? Because it's not a movie; it's a series on a platform that might disappear in a year, which is something that I'm very uncertain with. Like they're still pushing the narrative of like, watch these HBO max originals, but they don't, they're going to go on to discovery plus in like a year. So that's great. But dude, it's they're They're not getting rid of the title. They're just shifting it to a multiple sharing platform, just like how Paramount and Showtime are. Yeah, now, but you say that, but they've like taken actual HBO Max originals off HBO Max already. But I believe that was because they didn't have the full property for it, so they just went ahead and axed it. But I'm not getting into that right now. How dare they ax so, pickle American pickle? So yes, yeah, so we have we have our we actually got our first look of Last of Us, and I think that this. Full trailer look, yeah. Full trailer and not just a couple quick scenes, but we actually get, you know, her dialogue, scenes that you can feel if you play the games look as real as it can be. Uh, the sounding of the clickers, man, those th- those the are going to production work. design. Uh, yeah, H- H- we know HBO doesn't, uh, doesn't fuck around in that department. Um, 
so yeah, I, I'm excited for this one. I believe it was it's going to be a March release. It said early 2023, if I'm not mistaken, which I mean, if all goes according to plan, we might be looking at back to back um, doses of Pedro Pascal with Mandalorian. So that's going to be pretty exciting. He plays the best dads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, but I mean, I don't want to go too much in depth of this, but I mean, if you're a fan of the uh, the gameplay, the game video game franchise, uh, I think I think they're they're, t- they're handling this one with a lot of care. Um, and I know the voice actors that played in that one will have some small scene work in, in the TV show, so that's always respectful to see. Is it respectful? I like to see it, but like, doesn't the guy look like the guy? Doesn't like that voice actor kind of look like Joel? Joel, or am I thinking of a Troy? Wasn't it Troy Baker? Oh, no, then he would not Troy look like Troy. No, I, I'm, I think I'm thinking of the guy from Uncharted who showed up in Uncharted. Yeah, that guy. Yes, he could have just like played him. Nathan Drake. Yeah, but funny uh, that you say Troy Baker played the brother. <laughs> Troy Baker is in ninety percent of video games. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm e- equally as excited. Uh, I didn't play through the two games. I only watched like a playthrough of the first game, so I know the gist of the story. But I'm very excited to like get it fully fleshed out in this kind of format. They've been working on it for years. It is the culmination of a lot of work and a lot of planning. So I have faith, but I am cautiously optimistic. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. So I think um, we're we're both on board with that one. Mm-hmm. So now we any, got some uh, big old stinking Marvel news for you, folks. Uh, we got some good news and some bad news mm. to report. Uh, I, I can go ahead and deliver uh, bad news because, uh, unfortunately, it kind of it's kind of personal <laughs> uh, in a in a dark, fitting way. But, but we have uh, kind of breaking from the other day that it was like late at night too. It was one of those stories. But the upcoming Blade film with Mahershala Ali, they. The director dropped out, uh, Basman Turek, due to uh, scheduling conflicts, which kind of interesting how if you're directing a movie and, and your scheduling gets in the way because you pick something else up, that's weird, especially for a Marvel film. But that's not the only issue. Uh, there's also rumors that Mahershala Ali is frustrated with how the script is only 90 pages and features two action sequences, which for a Marvel film, I mean, for most films. Quote like- specifically said two lackluster action scenes. Yeah, Which so you know, you can't have that in Blade, dude. The f- first two Blade movies, at least, are made on their action scenes on the on the sword fighting and the, the blood rain and all that fucking iconic stuff. How are you going to do mid ass action in a Blade movie? Yeah, that's that's true. And and like I know I like to, to, to play the game here, but maybe in order to get this film, uh I guess saved. They need to obviously get a director quick and and maybe uh maybe go get Jordan Peele. You know, so uh, just quickly bring him I, in. I, I don't think he'll do it. I what if the, I, I was know thinking, he won't do it. Well, yeah. Uh, what if they go and get like Sam Raimi, someone they already established a relationship I, with? Uh, so I had Jordan Peele written down, but I also had Mike Flanagan because he's no stranger when it comes to horror. And the other name I was thinking okay. is David F. Sandberg, 
the dude who did Shazam and the Annabelle movies. Can you just no, what? no, no, bro? How is that any different than Mike fucking Flanagan? This dude Mike also Flanagan has comic book movie experience. He's 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 done much more uh, respectable and appreciated horror work. Have you have you heard of his Netflix TV shows? No. Oh, that's right. It's not on Disney. Um, no. He also did a very well received Doctor Sleep film. It just did not make. Oh money. yeah, that's what they want is a movie that makes no money about a like time honored horror classic. Um. Because last I checked, a lot of the up-and-coming directors that Marvel gets, their first films don't do shit. So, yeah. Why don't we just talk about the good news? Well. That has a director. It's very, very good news. Does it? Oh, yeah. What do you mean, unfortunately, bro? Shitting on Sean Levy like that. Fuck you, man. Brought us Stranger Things and Night at the Museum. Holy shit. You are you are witnessing my brain activating right now because I am now just realizing the joke of the Ben Stiller thing that I was talking about the other day. How Larry Daly is confirmed to be in Deadpool 3. That's big news, folks. Can you believe it? Ben Stiller is returning to the role of Larry Daly from the Night at the Museum franchise directed by Sean Levy to be in Deadpool 3. It's incredible news. This is the crossover everyone's been waiting for. And also Wolverine, played by Hugh Jackman, might show up. He might also be in the movie. That is the actual big news. It's incredible. We we got a quick little video about basically Ryan apologizing for not having any, having any news about the movie, not being at D23, and then by the end of it, he's just like, hey, Hugh, you want to be in the Deadpool 3 as Wolverine and come back? And he's like, yeah, sure, Ryan, whatever. And boom, there, we got our announcement. And, I mean, even the logo of the Deadpool symbol with the three claw rips through it, it's perfect. It's a perfect, it's Deadpool 3, Wolverine's back, Hugh Jackman is back. This, I get, it's going to be a one-off. I don't think we, this this has to be the last time Hugh Jackman plays the character. I mean, you can only say you're never going to do it again so many times before you're like locked into it forever. But I am so fucking excited for this. There was always a question about what's going to happen if Disney gets Deadpool and 20th Century Fox. Are they going to make it PG-13? How are they going to tie in the universe that it's in? But the best part about Deadpool is he's like omnipotent. He's he, he doesn't exist between four walls. So he can just go and do whatever he wants. He's probably just going to show up, dig up fucking Logan from his grave, like desecrate his grave and then revive him in some way, shape or form, like Justice League style, bring him back to life and then go on weird, crazy adventures with him. And and that's my prediction. But in reality, what Deadpool movies usually do is end up making something that's even more emotionally strong than I can just make up on a surface level like I am. And that's the beauty of the Deadpool movies. So I cannot wait. Cannot wait. There was the second uh, teaser they released at the morning later where it kind of talked about how Logan Mm. is dead in the year 2029. And so supposedly they're going to just be like, you know, this Logan takes place before that. So it'll be interesting to see where they, where they tackle that. I saw, some video breakdown was like uh, the comic book that Deadpool is reading in the bathroom is a 
comic that featured Wolverine and it's like a road trip kind of film, buddy cop style. Uh, I think that would be amazing. Uh, I know you mentioned how like it'd be cool if they went or not. It might not have been you. It might have been another uh, person that uh, video breakdown, but they're talking about how like how neat it would be if if Deadpool would be the one that kind of like goes in and, and kills former Fox Studios superheroes like you could actually have chris evans as the human torch and he goes in there to kill him but it's him bringing the human torch to the mc or something like that and that's how he kind of gets wolverine to help him oh yeah, yeah it would have been fox yeah. i was like is that fantastic for a movie like paramount or something but no it definitely would have also been 20th century fox no i totally that'd be even awesome. get nicholas cage as ghost rider like go even like um shoot your own self in the foot Here's, god you know can I complain about the MCU real quick? I will let you have the biggest fucking stage in the world you want if you will do that right now. I will give you the biggest stage in the world, the biggest microphone, and the biggest stadium in the biggest city you can go and say. <laughs> you want to you go to space and you can broadcast it live over a satellite feed? Because we'll go there too. All right, all right, all right. Here's the thing. There is a level of consistency when it comes to characters and casting for these Marvel and comic book heroes that I do miss from the, the earlier MCU. I don't love the idea of just getting these old actors, bringing them in for, to play the characters they've already played or been fan casted at to do one-off bit parts and then not consistently exist through the MCU. The, the, the world that the MCU built over 20-something movies in the Infinity Saga is what drew everyone to that world. It's how this character shows up in one movie and then nine movies later, they're an Avenger. That's what's awesome. And they're, a, and they're, they're an actual comic book character. Just being like, hey, yanking this guy out of this universe and he's he was has been Wolverine this whole time and he's going to go away and then we're eventually going to get the X-Men in this world. And there's going to be some other fucking guy as a Wolverine, as a Logan in this world. And you're going to have to deal with that confusion or the whole situation with John Krasinski doing his Reed Richards. And then the rumors that it's being recast, whatnot for the actual movie are very strong. So they're obviously just going with what Feige said and being like, just accepting the fan casting. But I, I hate that. That is actually something I don't, I can't stand with the newer ver iteration of the MCU. I like a consistency. I like seeing Emil Blonsky, Tim Roth from the incredible Hulk 2008 show up in she Hulk because that's in world stuff, taking the stuff from the Fox universe. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Deadpool is probably the only character I would want to carry over for real, but I, Hugh Jackman is the only other character, so that is that is the excitement for that. But there is my I, I'm now stepping down off my soapbox for my one complaint of the MCU. Wow, I think I think I might have to change that to my ringtone. That was pretty pretty nice. That's a long ringtone. Uh, and we also got a release date, uh, September fourth, twenty twenty four. Oh, uh, six, I believe it was six. Um, so two, two years, which is not so shabby. And then I think we're also getting fantastic for a couple months after that film. So very, uh, interesting 
what we're going to get moving forward. Uh, I mean, Fantastic Four also just announced the writers too, so they're they're moving fast on that one. And like we just said, Deadpool three does have its director, so and I mean they're they're moving in fast motions. And and I mean, I, it's it's exciting to see. Um, I, I mean, on a quick note, but we but we all know like what Hugh Jackman met as Wolverine for us. We uh, and we've all know what uh, like how it was for him and so seeing that there were able to get that that one that one more shining moment is going to be remarkable and i i can't wait to see um what they what they bring to screen i i kind of like this because i know earlier talks were like they're going to just bring back cable and domino and kind of tell obviously a, a new story but there comes a point where like that might not um i guess hit the same so this this is going to be kind of cool that they that they switch it up. I mean, there's got to be some kind of Josh Brolin Thanos cable joke in there. Yeah, there's no there's nothing wrong with that. Right. That's it. Thanks for coming. Okay. I'm going home. <laughs> or we are home. Well. Yeah. We're yeah. we're base we're we're under homes. <laughs> Oh wait a minute! I don't know. That sounds like a wow. Wait a minute! That sounds like a really good title for something. Or like a horror movie that's set in basements. I'm gonna write that down. Maybe that's what Barbarian should have been titled: Under the Home. No, just Under Home. Under Home. Like, like what? What? It's a type of security. Okay, I'm gonna gonna work on this. Uh, Well, I want a piece whenever you do figure this out, since I said it and I have the recording. Uh, that would require you to read my work, though, and you don't like that. This is how I win. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. How can you not be romantic about baseball? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. No. No, you. You complete me. I'm the king of the world! If you don't have a good sense of humor, you're better off dead. 69, dudes! And welcome back to the Sin Arrivals podcast. Sorry if you were listening to us when going to sleep, but there's a wake-up call for you. Wake the fuck up. How dare you sleep during our podcast? And this week, I'm coming in hot and aggressive because we got a lot to talk about of various opinions. Some of the movies were terrible. Some of them were surprisingly good. So let's get... We're going to get right into it. Oh! I'm like, did you just orgasm? What the fuck? I, I, I... Disagree with what you said. We got movies, and we're gonna talk about movies. Anyways, before we get going with the ridiculous stuff we have to talk about today, it's back, folks. We got TV corner for you. It's everyone's favorite segment, except for me and Brent's. <laughs> so, so here we go, because this is a special TV corner. We are we are doing a mid season. Well, I'm doing a mid-season roundup, basically, because we are on episode six of House of Dragons, one of my favorite shows on TV right now. Maybe my favorite show on TV right now. Probably my favorite show on TV right now. 
Are no, you it is. It what? is. It is my favorite th- that I'm watching. At least. Anyways. Uh, and we finally, if you're watching the show along with us, this is going to be this is going to be a spoilery conversation. So we are going to talk about like happenings of the show. Um, We finally hit the time jump. We have now seen years pass from where we were left at on episode five. Actors are being replaced. Prosthetics are being switched in and out. Storylines have been created without us being there. Everyone's married to either a cousin or a niece or a nephew or something like that. But I just really wanted to talk about how great it is to have this show live up to the hype of the first couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. The political intrigue, the violence, the 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 character work, it's all back. It's all here in this show. And man, those actresses who spent time, uh, the actresses who played Rhaenyra and Allison, who spent their time and put in all the work to set up where we're going with this show, kudos. They did a fucking fantastic job. It's genuinely going to be hard for these established actors with Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook to live up to the performances that their younger uh, compatriots set up. And they get close. I I still think Millie Alcox is better than as in the Rhaenyra role than Emma Darcy. But I just, I think it's so, I basically my, me stepping in here to talk about this show is just to express how, in, I keep hitting the mic, how incredible I think it is that they figured out how to get and te- or how to tell a Game of Thrones story again after losing their way in season eight with the original series. It's very impressive. I like the show. Uh, thank you. All right. Now, Brent has chimed in. He uh, that is more than I thought he would say in the first place. And like I said, I could literally go in and recap every episode, but I think what they're establishing with these characters and their connections, we we got we clearly got our people we fucking hate because they're shitty and conniving and pl- plotting against our many of our favorite characters, Rhaenyra. We have Damon, who's everyone's favorite uncle, uh, overdoing his own thing, marrying the even younger girl than uh, what's her face. It's all. It's all playing out in like a gross and unsettling way with the amount of like incest and bloodline stuff and all that stuff. But that is what that world is. It's like that is the thing about that. Like that is what was written. There is the bloodline of the Targaryens is riddled with incest. It's how that world operates. And so like there is a level of like grossness to it and eeriness. But like we I'm still like. Oh, fuck, that's such a good plan that he married the other Valerian. Now they have dragons, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just I'm I'm I can't even imagine where the, the finale is going to end up. And I cannot wait to see what season two will have to offer. But this this show is fantastic. Say I like the show again. I like the show again. There we go. I'm just okay. here. So I don't get obviously, but that's great. All right, fine. Uh, I got to say my piece. I've been wanting to talk about this show after every episode, and I found that this was the best time to do it. Now, 
Moving on to a show that definitely didn't win us over and it hasn't even won me over as swiftly as House of Dragons did, but the Andor series has finally dropped on Disney Plus last week. We got the first three episodes just yesterday, or we got the uh, the fourth episode, and oh, there's four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and here, the thing about this series so far is it's clearly a slow burn. There are a lot of episodes. There are already two seasons confirmed. So they're taking their time explaining what the, like, true story of the series is going to be. This is very much an intro- a reintroduction to the character of Cassian Andor for the th- first three episodes. We learn a little bit about his backstory, a little about his current life. And remember, this is set before the events of Rogue One, clearly, because that is where he comes to meet his end. I will say it is it is when I say it's a slow burn, I say that not in the best way. We have three episodes that don't feel like they can exist individually. You have to watch all three of them in succession. And and by that third episode, you do have enough questions and enough adrenaline built up in the like ideas of the story to then be like, all right, what do we got next? And then in episode four, we finally see what will probably lead to the regular like the 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 meat and potatoes of this series. But like I said, to like to get someone to lock in for three episodes in a row, that's difficult to do if they don't have like an established passion for the characters or whatnot. And Cassie Nandor, we've seen once and he wasn't like a likable character in Rogue One, but he wasn't an unlikable character in any means. But you got to sell us on this. This isn't Obi-Wan Kenobi. This isn't the guy. So there is there's a, a, a an amount of effort you have to put in to establish why we should give a shit about this character. And they start doing it in these first four episodes. But we we will have to wait and see if that develops any further. I have only watched uh, one and a half episodes, and I'm completely fine with that. I have no issue uh, admitting that to the public audience. Uh, I mean, uh, Rogue One's been obviously probably one of the uh, the, the best Star Wars films we've gotten in the last uh, decade since the the revival, and that honestly might even include TV shows. Um, so what they're doing here with creating a prequel series to Rogue One, you have to in a in a small way admire that like okay they're going into a storyline that we actually like we love hearing glad it's not something in between like episodes yeah seven eight it's technically between uh three and four yeah that's what i'm saying uh but yeah i get what you're saying yeah so it's I, I will say they they have themselves a, a really good cast. Uh, I mean, obviously, Diego Luna's uh, pretty good with the character, and it's a cool scene. Well, you haven't Stel- even gotten to Stellan Skarsgård, who like feels like well, he was born to be in the Star Wars universe. There, there's a lot that I'm picking up that they don't have, but uh, but I mean, I, it's it's uh, for the very few that that I have seen though, uh, seen uh, Adriana Adorno again after her uh, lovely appearance in Morbius was a was a delight. Um, it's not that I just haven't wanted to watch it. I just, I've not had the time in the past week. So, you know, who gives a fuck? 
But yeah, we'll, I, uh, I genuinely think you need to get to episode four and then you can decide whether you're going to fuck off on this show. But the fact that you have such an admiration for Rogue One, you hold it like higher than I do in my rankings for sure. I it's just it. Blow, it I don't know. I I know you do. You I, I know how busy you've been. So, yeah, there's definitely a time element of it. But I think by the time you get to where I am in the show, you will be in, invested enough. Well, one thing with the thing with Rogue One that it, I mean, written by uh, Tony Gilroy, same with mm-hmm. him. That guy writ- wrote and directed to Michael Clayton, which is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So there's that, there's that uh, history with it. But I mean, I will pick it up. I, it's just, I mean, it, about about to hit a about to hit a busy season, so we'll we'll get there. But they're so short. Once you get caught up, it's like thirty minutes a week. It's like not that big of a commitment. Uh, uh, I'm, 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 uh, no, it's a commitment. Time is a commitment. Time is a commitment. Not if you stay up till like uh, four in the morning every fucking night and, you know, uh, uh, probably destroying my body doing so. <laughs> Dude, I used to get paid to do that. And yeah, let me tell you, it's, it's not terrible. Good for your body. It's not good for your body. No. All right. Sweet. And that'll be it for the TV corner. Uh, I can't think of anything we have up and coming that we will be talking about inside this corner um anything off the top of your head uh, oh maybe werewolf by night but you already expressed that you don't really give a shit so well, that might just that might just good. be a me mentioning it when that comes out in a couple of weeks that's a like a mini series tv show exactly kind of style thing, movie thing and it got reported it's getting... that it's like four minutes 52 minutes total yeah and it's getting solid reviews nothing like insane but i think i'm gonna like it but that is gonna be it for the tv corner we will spring that back whenever we need to it's come it's gone and now we move on you see what i did there to the brent and brett go to the movie segment of our podcast uh but we always we start off the go to the movie segment, usually with a Netflix movie that we watched at home. And this week we sat for nearly three hours and experienced the movie air quotes. That is blonde. The Ana de Arma starring Marilyn Monroe biopic, massive air quotes about her various relationships and the mental and physical trauma that she went through her career. And by God, did this movie hit the fucking mark so by so much. It actively did the thing it was trying to expose society for doing to Marilyn Monroe. And that's exploited her like literally just showing her at her worst and at her most like used and abused and presenting her as the sex symbol in this movie is exactly how she was treated in real life. And that the fact that they're trying to be like shame on society for doing this while, while doing it itself, it blew my mind throughout the entire film. I could not get over this whole thing. I was like, how do you have the audacity to to like subtly say these things while actively showing me some of the most graphic and ridiculous shit that probably didn't happen because it turns out this, movie is based off a book of like dramatized events of Marilyn Monroe's life. So 
it could potentially not even be like things that actually happened. And we're over here just. I like jaw dropped watching what I'm watching and there is no coherence to the editing or the structure of the film. There's not a story to be told because it's just hopping from event to event to event in like no real coherent means at all. And the only saving grace of this movie is the performance of Marilyn Monroe for Mana de Armos. You can only barely hear her accent. So that's good on her. Uh, But it's just, she does do everything she possibly can to really embody the person that was Marilyn Monroe through the things that she had had to do in this movie. Uh, So that is impressive, but I could not be more pissed off and disappointed with this movie. Really? Yeah. I think I I learned after uh, watching this train wreck that it was more of a reimagining fictional story, which so be it, if that's the case, that's all right. But uh, I think after having been this kind of like soak into my skin after 24 hours, maybe this being told by a male was not the right uh, approach to the perspective that needed to be told on. Uh, and it's just, I mean, you hear me bitch and moan about this all the time about like how every year this is just how Hollywood wants to tell their stories. They want to find some type of icon celebrity and their, and their ill-fated stories and just I mean, destroy them. And what we've come to love about them is pretty much, uh, you know, uh, tossed in the mud and we're left with uh, all the dirt that comes from it. I mean, this is not like there's some scenes where they're trying to do this really cool visual uh, effect, like this threesome with the screen, like shifting and spreading the image apart or not. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't make me like, Oh, you know, I'm gazing my eyes upon, uh, filmmaking achievement like no I just uh, not it's just it's not uh, not what I'm looking for out of a story like this I was kind of hoping we got a little more of of what she meant to to Hollywood beyond the sex symbol she she was and is I mean she's been a part of very very strong um, like a wave in Hollywood ex- coming from her upbringing and, and being able to not just be known for her looks but her comedy and her actual well-known demeanor into you know portraying characters that are worth or were shown on the screen quite frankly and what Anna the Armas does in this film it's it's remarkable because if it wasn't for her it seems as if this movie wouldn't have been made it would have been uh, a cartoon heavily dude. guarded oh it, if yeah. if she wasn't uh, actually have, committing to the role it would have been a farce of itself yeah uh and so uh lost my train of thought here Sorry. um so when this movie was coming out and being made and all that, it was heavily touted as like, this is NC-17. We're not dropping the rating. We're showing you everything we want to. And by that, that basically means that Honor the Armist is going to walk around topless for the entire film. And there comes a, there's like a tone that has, is to be told when you're showing nudity and like what the image they're trying to display here, it there's just no need for it. Like at all. It, it kind of is more disrespectful. And like, I mean, yeah, we all get it. Marilyn Monroe is one of the prettiest women alive. Okay, you can still tell her story with her clothes on. Like at the end of the day, like we we don't need to deprive her from any of that. And it's just it's. I mean, I've been a fan of Andrew Dominic. Uh, his previous films. I mean, Killing Them Softly is is really really good. And obviously, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Jesse Ford. Or <laughs> oh Howard. my god, that movie that would have been a twist. Uh, that movie's gonna run like, out of breath. 
you know, right? It's just like this movie is just frustrating. Like we we know, like there, I told you, there's a scene that really pissed me off, and it's towards the end, and it's with JFK, and we we know about the, the you know the myth with that, the, and like how it's become a part of just the history of her and the president and being incorporated into different themes within other movies to kind of ploy about that. We, we know that we do, but we don't need to see it the way they showed it to us. Like that was just disrespectful in, in so many levels. And I, I mean, there was this weird choice to like be kind of cheeky about who her various relationships were with. Like if you know anything about Marilyn Monroe, in like her relationships in history, you know that she was married to Joe DiMaggio, Arthur Miller. She had her relationship with President JFK. But the movie goes out of its way to call them daddy throughout the whole thing. Uh, on IMDb, they're well, they no- also- they're noted as the athlete, yes. the playwright, the president. They never name them. We know who they're supposed to be playing. They're playing cartoon versions of these characters. But like you felt the need to be subtle about it when there's zero subtlety to anything else in your film. It doesn't make any sense. And you you keyed on something I totally agree with, and I need you to bear with me here. But there is something that being with the Ricardos and this does right that this movie does wrong. And it's that it's that showing of the side of Marilyn Monroe that isn't just what we've seen in the tabloids and movies, the sex symbol. They made they made Lucille Ball. They showed us Lucille Ball as like the dominant producer, writer, comedic mind that she was. And that's what I was hoping for with Marilyn Monroe, showing layers to the person that was Norma Jean or Marilyn Monroe. But all we got was, no, she's a sex symbol and she's a sex symbol because of the male gaze. And she's just been like abused throughout her entire career and like dragged along and the only this is the only reason why she's famous it's like no she was very talented she could sing she could dance she could act she was funny it was all there and we saw little to none of it the best the best parts of what we saw of that were the way that they recreated old scenes of movies and stitched Ana de Armos into those scenes I mean that was pretty cool but that is few and far between in this movie there's more tits than that's shit in that movie I, I kind of see what you mean with the wanting the being Ricardo's, which I think that's a pretty solid point because what this film tries to do, which you, you're not even expecting it is that it becomes a psychological thriller. It kind of sh- shows you yeah. her, her mental breakdown and like how her capacity just can't hold with all the big stuff that's coming on into her life. And it just, it feels numbing and suffocating to watch that stuff because if you're not a part, if you're not into the, what stories being told, then you're not going to try and connect and sympathize with any of the subject material. I think in a similar note, uh, last year, Spencer did a lot of that where it was sort of a psychological thriller with princess Diana. And I thought their attempt with that and it's fictionalizing storytelling was much better yeah. than with this one. At least that was in a way more faithful to what their subject was where they weren't, demoralizing its character and i i think this movie just it's the narrative is very dead and and i made very much note of that in my review it just i i don't i don't get it like there there should have been so much better handling of this character that i mean this person 
it, it's, I mean, it might, it's just, I don't know. It's not getting well received well at all. I mean, it's, it's very uh, swift amongst the critics and, and deservedly so. I mean, this movie's been in the works for at least two, three years. I mean, ever since Anna de Armas has become like quite the, the leading actress she is, and she's still up and coming, as they say in the industry. I, I, I mean, I, I hope this doesn't like derail her in a way. Like, I hope she's able to kind of keep her head up high and know that like she was still very passionate about it. And if she got what she wanted out of it, then so be it. That's great. I just, I don't know. I think we need to take a step back with Hollywood and the, and like their attempts to try and, and make these cultural icons, especially this female ones. I mean, we, uh, I know you haven't seen, uh, you might have seen it, uh, Jackie also from yeah. years past. Like they attempted that, which I think that was probably the best we've gotten in these last couple of years. And so there's going to be, there's going to be more. And like, and this is even beyond the whole musical side of biopics. This is a different nature because what they're, they're attempting to tell in these stories through like whatever creative department and like the director's vision they have, they want to, to have in that they're just not finding the landing pad at all. Like it's like, I guess yeah, the, the, the runways it's, it's like, at night and they can't fucking see anything and it's it's embarrassing for these people like i mean i don't know man like this is just frustrating and this movie was two hours and 40 minutes long that is and like the first 20 minutes it's it's a brutal watch like who wants to watch a child be abused like that and then who also wants to watch a woman i thought i thought with that beginning we were gonna get something genuinely interesting that was like a real character study but then they go on to make Marilyn like not a human being and just a vehicle of suffering that is just being passed around from guy to guy. We never, we never see her break up with other boyfriends. She's just with other guys. Literally. It's just hopping from relationship to relationship without even worrying about like developing her character. Just basically abortion to abortion to abortion really is what it's trying to get to at, by the end of the film. And to show a POV of one multiple times is ridiculous, dude. It was all over the place with its stylistic choices. But I I, was genuinely I had hopes after watching that intro because I found that like it thrilling and and intense and real and well executed, especially with like the smoke and the fire and the cinematography. And then it just goes downhill from there. It sucks. It, I mean, it's a true heartbreaker. That's for sure. Absolutely. I, I got, I, I got nothing. I got nothing left to say. I mean, this movie, it's it, it's gonna be interesting to see if she holds on for an Academy Award nomination. But I don't think it's gonna happen, considering the just the demolished returns it's getting on Netflix. There has, to, there still has to be a level of like enjoyment of the film, no matter how good the performance is, just to get the name out there. It, and usually you see me with these films where like I'll I'll kind of rate them two stars, but this was just very hard to to sit through. And, and I mean, I I got nothing left, man. Yeah, <laughs> I will say, I maybe maybe my favorite part of it was the Nick Cave and Warren Ellis score. I thought that was that was you know delightful in a way because like it, it kind of showed you the beauty that that Marilyn Monroe was without it disgracing everything else that we had from this movie. So we're next film kind of tiptoeing on the early edges of October and Halloween. And I'm sure once people actually listen to us, it will be October and we'll be closer to Halloween. So We'll hopefully have a we'll in the Brett and Brent go to the movie segment. We'll hopefully have something 
little bit spooky or Halloweeny in October for you guys each week. So, or at least we're gonna try, depending on what releases. And this is this is the time for horror movies to release, not fucking summer, not January, February, March. This the October month. That is when we want to see the horror films. And I love how timely of a manner this film came out and how good it is. Yeah, no, I I, I think we have a lot um, of hopefully interesting ideas that we can bring forward to, with it being Halloween, October, yada yada yada. All righty, we have first on board though. Well, we got the, I guess the surprising pleasure of watching Smile, uh, and that let me tell you, like this film, when you, th- you see that the title is called Smile, you're like okay, this is this is not going to take it so seriously. It's going to be stupid. It, I mean, it's I'm just not going to be on board with it. And then you see a trailer, and it's not even that good. It's just like like well, I shouldn't say the tra- the trailer was spooky. We'll put it that way. The trailer definitely gave off its its um genre but uh what we have here with smile uh led by the uh Sosie bacon daughter of kira sedwick and uh kevin bacon beautiful young actress uh, up and coming, as they say uh after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident with one of her patients who kills herself after she previously experienced uh frightening occurrences uh of someone killing themselves in front of her she begins to experience this terror taking over her life and she must uh, dig into her troubling past in order to survive and escape this new reality that she has now put herself in. And this movie, uh, it, it, I mean, it's it's nightmare fuel. Like it, it was the shock value was really there. I will I won't lie. I mean, I was sitting there deeply hidden in my hoodie. Uh, I can <laughs> fucking tie pod. But this, what I really enjoyed that this film did is it created this atmosphere that it owned and films that reminded me prior of it that I've been seeing now online is it follows and the rain. And those are two like, like true well done horror films, respectfully. So uh, keeping them separate. But what smile brings to the table though, is that it takes the, the, the trauma that we've all become aware of with mental illness. And it kind of takes itself more serious than I thought, which, which gives you more reason to, trust the story that they're telling. And I think that that was the best part out of it. And for this to also be a horror film that does that as well, which it gives you strong characters, uh, a strong horror subject to follow through with it. It makes for a very good film. And quite honestly, the jump scares are effective. Like it's not cheap. They really kind of land what they're going for. And for a first time filmmaker and Parker Finn, like, I mean, hats off. Like that's, that's really, that's really really cool. And this film just kind of, you know, I I hope it gets the success it deserves because I hope it runs through the month. I hope people, I hope it gets enough love that this is the movie that people are like, Oh, it's, it's October. Let's go watch a spooky movie. This will fuck some people up. There were genuine moments of terror in this movie. I, I, (laughs) dude, I, over the years have be definitely become a little bit more desensitized to the, the horror genre. I can anticipate the jump scares. I can, I can see through the movie magic of the situation. And I don't tend to get nearly as scared as like I did when I watched, uh, I am legend on a farm as a child. And that fucked me up. This movie does so does such a good job with 
reinventing the jump scare. Not, I mean, not really reinventing the jump scare, but basically uh, making I, I, me making me feel like there was going to be a jump scare, then taking the moment away from me. And they did that enough that it kept me so on my toes that when they hit you with the jump scare, it hits hard. There were three or four moments that I jumped out of my seat and maybe, and if I had to pee any more than I already did during that movie, I would have peed my pants. It With what you're saying with the jump scares, that it kind of gives you this trusting invitation to be like, watch my film. Nothing's going to happen. There's and like, then, she boom. opens the fridge. You think there's going to be someone behind the fridge door and there's going to be a jump scare and she closes the fridge. There's nothing there. She turns the corner. She's nothing there. But then what this film also does fucking well is they use the darkness and the voids of blackness in like dark hallways so well and framing the framing of just where characters are in the shot with like a hallway in the background. You're like, is there something back there? You're constantly on the edge of your seat waiting for something to happen in this movie. And it has quite a few jump scares, but to keep you guessing that much throughout the most of the film, that is what's impressive with horror, like with the better horror movies of the modern day. Like, any movie can just throw a jump scare in there. They have to be effective in scaring. And that is something this movie does. Yeah, it sold itself on this smiley, weird premise. Their advertising was kind of top notch, sending fit people to baseball games, sitting them behind home plate where they're on camera the entire time, just smiling the entire like the whole time. That's amazing marketing incredible marketing type stuff. And I really hope that helps get the word out. People go out and see this movie and we get another one of those. It follows or the ring. One of these movies, like these supernatural urban myth type film horror movies. Another one of those great style of horror genre films to be popularized as like, this is, I want this to be a household name. What you're saying about how it, the way that dark, holds and how they frame it into light like i thought the production design was amazing in this because it definitely gives you this this cozy feeling that you're at home and then you just don't know what's what's hiding behind you in the shadows and there are multiple jump scares where i was just like fuck like that is good ass shit and not to spoil what we get at the end but the final reveal of the the entity the horror like I've never seen anything like that. Before. I wasn't. I wasn't scared. I was genuinely blown away with the design, and by like, was, in like in like a positive sense, I was like, "That is amazing." My my body was frozen because like I was just like that. Like I, I've seen a lot of really good creature designs, and and the there's way- so and sorry, and there's so many bad horror movies that can't hit that climax moment. And this one hits it so hard. Well, oh, yeah, because I mean, not obviously not like the third act is where this movie, I think, kind of holds itself strong. Like, I know that there's this this endless cap off of like, well, I mean, the trauma, like, where are we going to go with it? But I I liked how we got with this conclusion and just the fact that like what we like, we're not really shedding anything from what, what we watched. And it was, yeah, my body was like left frozen when it revealed itself. And truly like uh, in a year where horror film is kind of back, like it's, it's, it's freaking awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, 
we we just got done talking about Barbarian, and and here we are with another horror film. And, and what's going to be what's really going to be fun here, and I'm going to call it now. We're getting horror films uh, with no with like standalone IP. Like these are original ideas brought forth to us. Mostly, some of them are through uh, previous short films and whatnot, or short works of of writings. But in a couple of weeks, man, we're going to have like our twenty third Halloween film. Yeah, and. I'm not looking forward to it. Oh, the trailer is very predictable. And and we know Michael Myers just doesn't die. And so titling your film Halloween Ends, we know it's that's falsified. It's it's fabricated piece of shit. And I could not stand Halloween Whoa. kills. And we're gonna get Halloween ends. And it's gonna be it's gonna be something not special Come when it should shit on my favorite slasher. Because What's also going to happen is, you know, this film will make that movie will make money. It will. And then in 2024, they'll be like, Halloween's going to be back in 2025. And now Jamie Lee Curtis is Michael Myers. Uh, Dude, she put the mask on at the very end and then that was the last shot. Take my money. So, yeah, they don't have the balls to do it. No, Um, smile. Smile gets that gets our stamp of approval, man. We gotta come up with something. Absolutely, here. dude. It's creepy. It's genuine. It's smart. It it literally keeps you guessing, especially through the third act. You never know what's gonna happen next, and that's impressive. It's it's a very well constructed, well shot, well 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 visually effects. Uh, or, the score uh, was very haunting. Like it had this ticking clicking sound sign behind you the sound and there are multiple design. times yeah. there's multiple times in the movie where i kept looking around like someone else is in the theater man like i i just i felt that because it did a, the sound did a really good job at making you feel it's like the you beauty around sound yeah oh man yeah it was pretty pretty good surprise and and going uh shifting from hard i guess you could say uh hard, hardcore horror in a way uh we're gonna go into um a drama <laughs> of advertised and shorts. we're not talking about the movie we're talking about how the podcast is going to end dramatically well thank you i i thought the advertised drama was uh the behind the scenes stage but no uh no it's we have us. yeah well i mean agree to disagree that's what we're here for center rivals facts don't don't worry darling has finally graced its presence upon our screen after uh, a year of its release day being announced we are finally here with it and I, I know I, I'm going to go back and listen to it, but when we did our uh, top five anticipated films of the year, I believe, I know I had it in my top five. I believe this was my number two or three. I've had, I held it up there pretty high. And I must say uh, for me personally, I, I enjoyed the film. It's execution. I don't know how you want us to break it down. I mean, I could just talk about it and then you could talk about it and we could break out where we come from to take away with it. That's Okay. But what we have here, uh, this is Florence Pugh, and it's Olivia Wilde's sophomore film. Uh, she previously directed Booksmart, which is a, a great coming-of-age comedy that I don't think gets talked about enough. And she has herself here a modest you know, $30 million budget film. It's going to make its money back. I'm pretty sure it already did, um, which... You know, you can put that on your resume still. But uh, yeah, what what this film is, what we have here, let me pull up the lovely. Uh, all right. What we have here, uh, as the trailers have kind of given off here, we have a 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian, 
experimental community that begins to worry that his glamorous company may be hiding disturbing secrets. Um, Florence Pugh plays the wife. The Harry Styles, I don't think I need to describe who he is, plays the husband. And then we're also with a uh, very uh, villainous Chris Pine. Uh, yes, underused in ways, but it's still one of the best to see it. Uh, best to see on the screen and just also kind of filled with a lot of supporting characters and actors that you've kind of come and known through different uh, aspects of genres. And this film, it, it tells uh, two different stories, obviously. And, and when it's revealed the, the true kind of nature behind itself and what they're, what they're going for, you kind of get um, obviously where people are split on their heads about and and i I can understand that i I completely i don't really honestly have an issue this is probably one film where like if if you're not on board with it so be it you know like i i enjoyed myself watching this film and watching it unfold and and obviously breaking down uh key moments and pieces that come with it uh and this whole time you're led through florence Pugh and her herculean uh efforts keep this film on its toes her performance is outstanding uh there's there's definitely no no one better out there i mean one of the uh more up-and-coming actresses in the game today she just kind of does her best at everything i mean there's there's no short trick in that one she uh she does great in this film as as the role of alice and you have harry styles uh who plays the husband who goes to work every day in this in this small um uh, victory town and she starts to pick up on like you know there's something else going on here i don't really believe my surroundings and she discovers uh, a lot of a lot of mystery uh, uh when she digs into that as comes through a lot of things when people are hiding secrets from you um the film is about two hours and the first hour it is the first hour is spent on i mean people are going to say it, but gaslighting Florence Pugh and believing that what what's happening is not really happening, which I mean that. No, you're, you're not. You're just seeing things. You're crazy, dude. What are you talking about? Which I mean, for fuck's sake, like it was in, it was in the movie blonde. It was in smile. Like that is just in movies. Get over it. Yeah, Um, There's a clear, there's a clear theme of like the inherent manipulation of women by men that is ever present in this movie. So that just, you know, comes in a lot of films, gaslighting, you know, it's out there, unfortunately. Um, but Florence, Florence Pugh does a pretty good job at just kind of like uh, guiding us through that and, and in Olivia Wilde's direction and also, you know, small acting scenes that there is in that. But um, where we get in the second half as the twist begins to unfold itself, um, are you good? Like, we're going to talk about the film. It's been a week. So if you don't want spoilers, you can skip ahead to my part. And then, because I know once I talk about Brett's going to uh, do the same. So like, I'm going to set off an alarm real quick. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. There we, we go. Should, you should find like a little. I, 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 I That's probably book. what I'm going to do now. Because then we could talk about barbarian. Um, okay, so what is revealed uh, mid about halfway over halfway through the film is that we are in a uh, a different setting with uh, Harry Styles and Florence Pugh's characters. Florence Pugh is inside 
a hospital. It's revealed that she is a, a doctor, a well, a well certified surgeon, I should say. Go her. And she comes home to a, just a more disgusting looking, lazy Harry Styles, which I get it. You know, you're going to try and turn one of the more attractive. Yeah, one of the more attractive men in Hollywood to look. I mean, his wife, Peter, shirt just was covered in like. I laughed when they like slapped a pair of glasses on this boy. It was like, ew, look at him. And it's like, no, it's still fucking Harry Styles. Like, there's no ew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've we've kind of seen it come out and about. But uh, Florence Pugh comes home. Alice, she comes home and she goes uh, and like Jack just wants to like kind of be with her because she's finally home and she wasn't talking to his text. Like he just kind of doesn't do anything and she does everything and so she was tired from working a 30-hour shift like dear lord and she just wants to go to bed she doesn't want to have sex with them she doesn't want to talk she doesn't want to eat she just wants to go to sleep she just wants to get sleep because she has to go back to work in the morning and and it kind of hints at this rough lifestyle that they live and the relationship being kind of um crippled and almost expired and so you kind of pick up on like uh this just a small hint that are dropped throughout that i mean you can see harry styles listening to a podcast and it's chris pine's voice uh you can kind of put the clues together and we get alice back into victory in this 1950s and we kind of we kind of gather that everything that we're watching is a it's all a simulation man we have, we have entered a fake reality a falsehood Created by Chris Pine's character. Now, it isn't elaborated fully. I understand that. The haters can stop, stop shouting. I hear you. It's fine. I mean, I, I don't there think are, I was shouting. There are multiple films films that, that, that pulled this, but I think the drama that this film created behind the scenes uh, allowed itself to create such a last lucker. Um, Lackluster. Riot. Riot. The uh, so yeah, you have Chris Pine who is like building this uprising of basically you know a 1950s lifestyle where men go to work and women stay home, and like the men are the, the head of the household and the women take care of the household and take care of the husband when they're home because that's apparently what Harry Styles was looking for. And Florence Pugh is a very uh, Alice is a you know strong independent woman, she don't need no man, and also give them sex whenever they want it. And so it's an, it's an interesting, uh, I guess, point of view that Olivia Wilde is trying to tell. And when Alice is in, like when she's back in 1950, she kind of breaks out of it and discovers um, basically like, uh, I guess, timing cues and whatnot. Like she recognizes what Harry Styles is humming is not part of this world. It's part of the real life. And it kind of brings her into this understanding and fruition of like, oh, I do believe what's going on is a lie. Um, they're After obviously being lobotomized multiple times. There, there are some really cool scenes earlier in the film that kind of like show her she's losing her mind, which I thought was pretty on a creative front. You know, it's there. Uh, I haven't seen that before. I mean, when when she's wiping the windows down in the glass and she gets pinched up against the glass, I thought that was kind of neat. Um, I mean, it's it's one way to kind of express your psychological thriller when you just have this one character that we're following this entire time. And then, yeah, I mean, we get we get uh, Harry Styles confessing about everything that's going on and like how they're a part of this um, this you know small I guess business front this operation this uh, this game engine that uh, whatever you want to call it 
Um, it's not full. It's not completed. They do make note that like there's only 72 of them inside this world, which for me to think in a, you know, whatever future we are outside of 1950, um, something like that really won't make public knowledge unless you live in that city. I mean, unless these people are from different walks of the earth, I don't believe that, I guess, in a way. But like here in the frustration, we're like, why, why don't we get more about that i just uh, you know who we're only wanting what's going on inside victory like if we were supposed to know stuff that happens outside of it i think we would have gotten that more throughout the film and more of that revealed in the trailer um i think the story got where we're just focused on alice and like and the character that florence brings to the screen is strong enough for us to uh, grab our attention on and obviously people are, are grabbing their attention on the harry styles because they love harry styles and what he brings in this film is like C plus work. Uh, he brings teenage girls butts in seats. That's what he brings to this film. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but like it ends where Florence Pugh or Alice, she's, she's breaking free. She's she understands that she's in this falsehood. Uh, Olivia Wilde's character confesses that like a lot of this is true. She does it because her kids are alive in this world and she wants to be with them, even though she doesn't really show strong characteristics of being a loving mother whatever uh you get you get a really cool you know escape scene uh, you know i thought that was kind of neat the the action sequence that that followed that olivia wilde directed i thought that was kind of cool and florence Pugh getting that chance to like get out of there and the way it ends where you just you know her eyes open up like it's a black we don't, we don't know you hear breathe that she wakes up and when it's revealed that like they have these eyelid devices that keep them open, that put them inside this world. And that when Jack goes to work, he's like coming out to also care for her. Like, you know, that she's tied down in the bed. And so I thought that that was just an interesting way of telling the story. I mean, men are assholes. We, we learned that through the filmmaking of blonde, but this uh, with what we got, I, I thought the production design was was awesome. Uh, I really liked the score that we got and a lot of the the throwback songs to bring us into the time period I thought was well executed. I've seen, I mean, if you watch a fucking Martin Scorsese, people complaining about the amount of songs that they heard in this. If you've ever watched a Martin Scorsese film and you have to hear fucking Rolling Stones 800 times, then come and complain to me about this. Until then, shut the fuck up and sit the hell down. Uh where this film does need work on, I understand the screenplay. It's not sharp, but this was one of the more uh, well-respected and most well-wanted blacklist screenplay that came out uh, a couple years ago. And so people wanted this film to be, the story to be told and be presented on screen. It offers a lot of similarities between other films. Uh, I don't want to break any of that down yet because that's going to correlate with our theme. I will obviously <laughs> kind of shed more light onto that then. But I, I thought for a directorial debut, I mean, it was, I mean, a sophomore debut uh, from Olivia Wilde at directing. It's not the worst, uh, but it obviously should not be understated. The drama that came from this film behind the scenes and everything that's like kind of came afterwards, it has put a damper on the product for some people. I mean, but... I cannot stop imagining how much better the performance of the character of like, was it Jack? I don't even remember what the name of the yeah. character Jack. Uh, yeah. How much better he would have been played by Shia LaBeouf, because not only do I believe that Shia LaBeouf could play the 1950s husband character where he's just like, oh, hi, honey. 
I could also see him playing the creepy, like, oh, I'm going to keep you in this world. And I think it's because I'm I'm it's because you were unhappy and I'm doing this for you and selling that aspect of the character way better than Harry Styles. Like, dude is not an actor. Unfortunately, he was good in Dunkirk because he had seven lines throughout the whole movie and barely had to do anything but run away from explosions. This is performing and acting and it, it just it's he's not up to it, like not up to the material, at least. We've we've have had a strong history with Shia LaBeouf. So like knowing previously that he was supposed to play this role and he was, you know, in air quotes, fired, quit, whatever, uh, put just aside like the discourse offset or uh, behind the scenes of this film. It's uh, it's un. It's it, what's the word I'm looking for? It's unignorable. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it, and it's created a wildfire in a nature that is, you know, it's not going to be put out until the movie comes out. But I mean, yeah, Shia LaBeouf would have would have made that that character stronger. And I think the film, I understand the whole like they felt the chemistry between Florence Pugh wasn't Florence Pugh wasn't that strong. I get that. Um, but like we still got ourselves a pretty interesting um relationship on screen because the character of jack still had his um his i got not like rights in a way but like his motives into getting the uh you know his he wanted to be with, with alice and like we were going to get that no matter what and there were some scenes that uh, harry styles didn't really truly deliver on but that is then nor there i i i uh, overall like i i got what i wanted out of it i thought it was it was effective in in some ways and i you know, I kind of look forward to uh, obviously the more just ridiculous, like, oh, the worst movie ever. Like, get the fuck out. Like, it's not like I've seen far worse this year. I've seen, you know, obviously far better. Like it comes and goes with with the way movies are made. And for, you know, almost an original IP where like this is a, you know, taken aside from other uh, recycled material. But you get that in a lot of film. I mean, you don't really get to create your own art without seeing something else out there and you kind of bring it to your own vision like i i liked what we got out of that and ellie wilds was vocal on what uh she uh took uh into account when writing this and and kind of changing some things from the previous script and that's all good and i think florence Pugh is the best thing out of this movie there's no denying that she's usually that with everything and at the end of the day like i just kind of hope that this movie gets looked at differently than just the behind the scenes bullshit that comes with movies. We've had that before. It's just going to happen. It's going to continue to happen. And once we can kind of look past that, I wouldn't be surprised in like five years when people look at this, um, they're like, wow, maybe this movie wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Maybe we just had to give it some room to breathe. And I think that will be the case. I'll give my quick notes. Cause you said pretty much all my issues as well. You, that was awesome. They're not, but it's like, you know, it is what it is. It happens in movies, but like people need to stop fucking ape mode. You you consistently mentioned uh, people not resonating with this mil- film, uh, not nearly as much as you did. And just like there's like, there's a, a level of just dislike to this movie. Oh, people, that's the big thing is like people went into this movie already fucking hating it. And when you do that, with I, them, I did not. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. But that wasn't me. And I still walked away with plenty of issues with this film. I, I think you pointed it out very well. The screenplay, there are definite issues with that. I feel like if there was an, any 
a more extended time to flush out the side characters, including Chris Pine's villain character, or even Olivia, uh, Olivia's character, uh, just giving more of their side of the story, flushing out the world. I think there should have been that there should have been more to the end of the explanation of like what was going on. I, I do understand and can get and appreciate just ending the movie and leaving it up for the audience's imagination to finish the story that I do like, but well, I, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. But when you're setting up a mystery for the entire movie, like you are, I feel like you could have executed it a little bit more like, yeah, we talked about how this movie seems just to be like, oh, gaslight Florence Pugh. You don't believe everything that's clearly happening in front of your eyes isn't what's really happening. If they would have put a little bit more effort into constructing the story where like maybe she did not see what she thought she saw, making us as the audience also uncertain of the actual events like the character giving it that air even more of a mystery to it and not just clearly playing out on a plate that something sketchy is going on here with like that neighbor friend who slits her throat. It's just, if, if you keep that more ambiguous, I feel like the execution of this movie comes off better. I mean, you were right in saying the performances are great. Like everyone pretty much except for Harry Styles is fantastic. There's also, there's also lack of uh, development with Chris Pine's wife character played by uh, it's not Carrie Coons. Yeah, the fuck? Uh, Gemma, Chan. Hmm? Gemma, Chan. Gemma Chan. She, Gemma Chan. since we're that. in the spoiler area, she has a ridiculous turn at the very end of the movie that is completely unexplained and seemingly unmotivated throughout the entirety of the movie. I also think we should have seen Chris Pine on the outside world and of in some capacity. And and I wish his character wasn't just guy spouting monologues like he's a podcaster for the entirety of the film. But well, that's enough why problems the- started to stack up on itself with this movie that I couldn't look past. And that's just where my my rating with what, ended up. With what you're saying though about uh, Chris Pine's character and, and Jim McChain. Uh, it, the movie was sold to be Florence Pugh's like, vehicle. It's her movie. Sure. And I can understand how they separated uh, itself from a lot of uh, the other areas of wanted uh, needs and whatnot. I, I get that storytelling on its own is kind of hard, especially when you're trying to tell a story that involves, you know, this whole simulation fake reality idea We've seen, we'll, we'll, I mean, we're going to kind of discuss that here in a bit and how mm-hmm. when the filmmaking comes to that. I know one thing that I would agree with and some people that I've I've heard and most especially on the, the big picture podcast where Finney was talking about how like, you know, Olivia Wilde has not dipped her toes in this genre, like this just drama wow. thriller kind of setting. And so it's hard to fully execute what your vision is and like how you're telling this small point of view from Alice inside this victory town and what she's seen when everyone wants to know what she's seen. That's not real. And trying to elaborate bigger on that picture, on that plan that I guess Chris Pine was having, and you're not going to give it to people. They're going to be frustrated. It's like that with a lot of things. I mean, more famously, like 
we had um like westworld like that's that's a very interesting uh continuation of like living in a fake reality simulation world and the more that that show gives its explanation and how we're on we just finished a season four and might have a season five i've become frustrating with that because i enjoyed the first season and just getting into that world and giving us this bigger picture with more twists and more disbelief it can get discombobulated and i'm kind of glad that don't worry i did that i mean that's fair but that's a five season a, a potentially five season show this is a one-off movie that doesn't really have potential for a sequel so like why not just explain enough instead of not enough that's where it's kind of losing. So, me. remember how I told you the original screenplay ended, and how what we got yeah. was actually better. But I mean, screenplay... I <laughs> better is one word. I mean, they, that the first ending was just far out. I think they could have found a happy was... medium. <laughs> you know, I I thought what we got though was like people wanted Alice to get out of this situation. They don't want to see anyone like that. And I and I liked what we got out of that. The the original ending was basically when Alice found out about it, she confronted Jack and she did the same thing by kind of like getting him to to admit to what's going on. But instead of her escaping, she's once again you know embottomized and kind of uh, told. And she's living in like a psychiatric uh, psychiatric ward and. Olivia Wilde's character comes up to her and like tells her, you know, you were believing it's right. Like we are in a f- simulation and the door to get out of here is behind you. And it just shows her walking to that door, but there's no like action climax scene in the third act, which what we got, I liked a lot better. And and like I said, I, I think in a couple years when people go to rewatch this, they might have a different interpretation with it because the backside and the behind the scenes is, is well beyond behind us. So I, I liked it. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, I got, I got what I wanted out of it. I got a really, really good story, a strong performance from its lead character. And, you know, it's awesome seeing Chris Pine play these, these evil roles. I wish we got, we got a lot more of that. So no, no, nothing, nothing horrible to say to me. I know I had this on my top five anticipated films of the year and it deserved its place at that time. I think though now I, it might be like my 11th, 12th favorite movie of the year so far, which is not, saying anything bad so that's so high okay mr fucking dale's top five sit down bro have you seen you can you see my surroundings yeah can you see my surroundings anyways i all right i i mean like you said because you've fucking this has been your segment and i love it uh, but Florence Pugh, she continues to prove why she is such a massive star and her full descent into madness throughout this film is why the film works as well as it does for me is her specifically. I mean, she has an, an emotional mental journey she goes through throughout the entire film. And but the but the issue is besides her, every, all the other characters are just pushed to the wayside and like underdeveloped. And beyond Pew's inner struggle that she's able to convey like perfectly, there's just no deeper layers to the to the other things in this film besides what she's doing with her characters or with her character. That's like that's like a a really big cliche within film criticism is like when there are multiple characters aside from the main character and they don't focus on the supporting and you got a lot from the main 
to complain about the supporting, but then when you have films that have multiple supporting characters that get fleshed out, but not a lot from the main character, you, you just keep it's not that recycle. I needed it's not that I needed like a fucking full backstory of a, like a flashback to Olivia Wilde's childhood and her losing her kids. I just needed her to show more of that. Like, oh, I'm kind of. When she's like, oh, I know all about this. You're like, how the fuck do you know? Why do you know? Like, is there, there were multiple, told you there were multiple like hints. allude to there that a little bit in the film. There are multiple hints that. in the film. Besides the Would fact you, that she's just you like. got to pay attention. Just saying, sometimes you got to pay attention. Like I said, I think on rewatches, people will find that missing value that they complained about when they first watched it. Uh, I'm not saying it's gonna gonna be intensely better than their first. I don't watch. think Harry Styles is gonna get any any better at acting. That's for sure. Well, he received an acting award for his next film that comes out later this year. So there's there's that. <laughs> Are you, are, you, are you in in shock, confusion? No, the what the fuck? What she's saying, but what about audio? Does that mean anything? What is she talking about? Well, it, okay. she's acting like she's never scheduled an Indian show before. Well, the whole we have to play Hindi, Tamil, and tell you. Yeah, I think she's. You go to the thing, you find the one that says it's Tamil, and you drag it. I know. I told her. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, do you want to uh, uh, transition into the theme? So we're going to, yeah, so here we're going to transition into our theme this week, uh, honoring the lovely Don't Worry Darling, which apparently a lot of people worried. Uh, we're going to talk about films that brought us uh, a fake reality or a simulation world. And Brett, you can go first because I'm going to break down a lot of other films and I know what yours is. So I'll let you take the mantle on that film uh, and then I can kind of bring us home to a real world. Uh, sure. Okay. She said, like, if I she go said around, no, if I she go said, never mind. I'm a woman and notice details. The fuck does that mean? I just no comment. Anyways. All right. Well, yeah, fantastic. I'll go ahead and start off and talk about a movie that I feel like executed the small town trapped inside a bubble type story even better. Because like you said, our theme is in honor of Don't Worry, Darling. So basically movies with main characters who are actively being gaslit and lied to and made to believe a false reality. That is The Truman Show, one of my favorite Jim Carrey films of all time, to a T. The whole concept of the film is that he is made to believe that this is reality when in reality he is trapped on a film set in this town with his life being scripted from day one in this weird alternate reality where the Truman show is the most popular television about a guy just living his life. And the, I mean, besides the outstanding execution of the concept, James Carey gives a performance that is his, maybe his highest of his highs when it comes to dramatic work, but still one of his more funny direct, uh, comedic performances of most of his movies. He's hilarious in this movie. Uh, tr I mean, Truman is an endearing character that you want to root for. You follow him through his madness and you just want him to find what he's looking for throughout the entire movie. And 
So it's in, in a lot of ways, it is like, don't worry, darling. He is the Florence Pugh of this movie. He is the, the character you're following through the madness and is through their mental journey, trying to put these pieces together and figure out what the fuck is going on. And so in that sense, they both do a really good job of that. And I can compel both movies for that. But I just this movie, I have a deep connection with this movie because it is it was filmed in a uh, location in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, called Seaside, which is a vacation destination that me and my family would go on a lot. I actually watched this movie for the first time at a rental house that happened to have the movie because of the proximity to the location where the movie was filmed. And I've loved it ever since. It is a fantastic, fantastic Jim Carrey movie. If you like Jim Carrey doing comedies, you will love his performance in this. This is what you get. This is like the stepping stones of his dramatic work that lead to the movies like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another fantastic example of something like this. But I, I just I cannot recommend The Truman Show more highly. Yeah, my favorite my favorite thing about the Truman Show is that this this movie being with uh, kind of creating a real person and, and throwing them into the, this reality setting. This was before reality TV was, I mean, a big focal point in all sorts of streaming, networking, cable, like all that stuff. Uh, this kind of really took took the top prize of that. And Jim Carrey is excellent in this film. One of my favorite performances from him. And on the note of Don't Really Darling, I think the worst thing that that film probably presented itself with was for those who haven't seen the fucking Truman Show and have wasted their lives from this point on that haven't seen that yet and it's spoiled from them because of that, fuck you. That's uh, that's all I'll say about the Truman Show. Um, but on but in in uh in that finishing uh, what I'm I'm gonna talk about uh my pick here in a second though, but um. Other films that so the 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 conversation that Olivia Wilde was giving out when she was talking about this film was that she took note from the Truman Show and also the Matrix, and she also got a little inspiration with Inception. So she was definitely digging in that that sci-fi thriller area, which it's an understanding. I mean, this is a pretty good subgenre on its own rights, but I mean, there's also a lot of. Uh, in a way, you have your your, your stepper wives that play into this, the, both the remake and the, uh, the newer film, or the, the, I guess the original. Um, that's a good film, obviously, the, the older one. And then I know Brett's personal favorite from a couple years ago, Serenity, which turned out to just Dude. be a video game. Spoilers. <laughs> I still remember how animated you were when that was, uh, that was revealed. Uh, I've seen some people kind of call this the white woman's get out or white mirror and similar to to get out in black mirror so that's kind of funny um there's also i kind of kind of can take away a little bit of vanilla sky uh and like i said westworld but there's a lot of content out there that involves simulation and a fake reality much like uh, you have your your tron your free guy ready player one i mean fuck avatar and you know people can shut the fuck up if they don't believe that but there's a lot that this movie kind of pulls from that a lot of other people enjoy. So I think the hatred that comes from it might just be, in fact, the behind the scenes. But what I uh, what I picked uh, my film for a uh, fake reality is uh, I kind of went 
went back in time, but not, but not too far back. Um, I chose the film that kind of brought us a similar tone uh, with Don't Worry Darling, which the trailer hides everything that it's really trying to showcase to you. Um, and the message that they send is like nothing harmful in a way. I mean, obviously, uh, Don't Worry Darling might have that, that underlying theme there. But um, what I picked is uh, a personal favorite of mine from this director just because of like and for talking twisted ending uh this film definitely delivered upon that uh the village from m night Shyamalan, uh 2024 so not too far back but coming close to 20 years um if you haven't seen the village then you might want to uh end this podcast because then i just spoiled it for you but also again um what the fuck are you doing with yourself the uh yes the village if you haven't heard, of, I mean, this movie actually has a fucking cast, which is really cool. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, Adrian Brody, Bryce Dallas Howard, William Hurt, Sigourney Weaver, Brendan Gleeson. I mean, it's it's a talented group of people. But uh, this film is it's it's about a, a small community in Pennsylvania, shocker, and they live in this like uh, I mean, for crying out loud, Letterbox does not give you the fucking plot. Um, that's so frustrating. Hold on. Um. Dude, have you? Every time I try to fucking load it in a movie database, it acts like it can't connect to the server, and then you have to like reload it. Yeah, and weird. Next, this is why I hate it. But um, I'm trying to remember the time period, but it's set in like the New England. It's in Pennsylvania. Shit. No, I meant like um, like the village side of like the 1600s or something like that. There's there's a, t- a word for it that I can't think of right now. But um, but you have you have the colonial times. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, see, I can't fucking. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, I didn't pay attention in history class. I love uh, history. So, yeah. So there's this, there's this, uh, there's this group, this colony of people, and they live inside this this community, and they always talk fear about you don't go in the woods. There's there's a presence out there. We have to stay here. That's how we we hold a stronghold. On, on this community and they're one of the the main characters she is a blind woman uh who's the daughter of like the lead man and all that and she, uh she's Played by bdh she's she's presented with uh the challenge of going to get medicine uh for the wounded because this monster attacked her and you're following her as she's you know making her way to um to get this same medicine because her father gave her the directions and when when you learn when she gets to this this place of help uh that she is inside a gated community held off um by the current time and what the people inside this given uh, her parents and other of the elders um they're just kind of they're experimenting um what it's like to live in that time period and not be held on to what is current and what's valuable to them and like how we are with technology and shit and i thought the twist that this film delivered where it's not set in this time period that it's just a group of people that enjoy living in this colony community and that the creature that they've been feeding off of to keep people in here is not real it's just them in these hooded propaganda yeah it's it's pretty pretty neat and and i think that uh at the time like this movie was just like complete surprise to people because you weren't expecting that twist and i think that that was a, a well done uh 
M. Night Shyamalan ending, uh, given the few. And it's, it's just it's so impressive how they're able to withhold the what, like the whole thing about the time period. They never say outright, oh, the year 1702 and we're we're a settlement in Pennsylvania. You're just they are just alluding They're They're showing you how this colony operates. You automatically think this movie is set years and years and years and years in the past. And then when you finally are revealed that just on the other side of the woods and the reason why they have this monster that's like, stay out of the woods. You can if you go into this woods, the monster is going to get you is because on the other side of the woods is modern day society. It's an and incredible that's, twist. That's the word. That's the true horror. Uh, I I think the horror is just you've been living a lie. Uh, I remember when I first watched this and the twist, I I I hated it and I was mad to believe that 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 was the case. But I think upon rewatches, I'm like, you know what, this movie, it's better. It's better than I and I remember. And I think uh, it's definitely one of those where like you kind of want someone to watch it that hasn't seen it before, so they can experience that themselves. So it's. I think I have this. I had the same reaction, really. I didn't like the twist at first, but then when you watch it back, you appreciate it more. And I appreciate the performances way more because of the like how watching the subtle things that they're saying and the way that they're talking even feels a little bit more modern the second time around. You're like, they're not Mm -hmm. talking about, oh, go, go, go tend to ye old. Uh, uh, plow or whatever. They are like just talking in like regular modern day speak, and like little things present themselves upon rewatch that like really just blow your mind the second time around. And it's it's a testament to that kind of film where a mystery film reveals itself, and you only get that much more from the rewatch because now you've known how that plays out, and that's great. Village is one of the reasons why M. Night Shyamalan is allowed to just make terrible movie after terrible movie is because of how well executed this and things like Sixth Sense was. And so that's just impressive in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you rattle off a lot of movies that like have this whole concept of just straight up lying to your main characters. Is there any one that you didn't get to mention yet? Well, I mean, there's, yeah, there's still some more on, on my list. Well, it's, uh, I feel like you can kind of take a take some similarity to Internal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, they definitely kind of play with that a little bit. I mean, a lot of uh, Charlie Kaufman's work of art is is re- representing some of those themes. Um, in terms of just like uh, we talk I mean, about the Matrix a, at all, because like clearly, well, especially no. don't right. I mean, but. The, there's clear inspiration to don't worry, darling, with the whole like you're in the you're in the Matrix being in the village of victory under like just like under complete like catatonic state. That is very Matrix and very. And it, and it frustrates me how people like want to want to put don't worry, darling, in a chokehold because of that. But yet. As I've said before, that I'll continue to kind of the difference repeat. is the reveal of the Matrix being fake is in the first act of the Matrix and not in the back of the third half of Don't Worry, Darling. It was also in the trailer, sir. Uh, but uh, but no, like, uh, I mean, when people create art, they're taking note from what they previously have seen and they revision it to their own stuff. I mean, that's that's very much what 
PTA and Quentin Tarantino and David Fincher had done when they were coming through, you know, they copied, they, they took note from the greats and brought it into their own vision and, and piece of work. And sorry that, you know, Olivia Wilde wasn't the great at it, but like, I'm still going to watch her third film. Like I'm still going to continue. Being oh, in sure. She brings forth. I think in terms of a writer director combo, we don't get much of that. And for a female writer director combo, we don't get much of that at all. And so this film, as long as it, you know, makes a substantial amount of money and it has a, a solid return. I mean, just wait. I think when, if this thing ever hits streaming or when it hits streaming, it's going to gain an audience. Like, I think that there will people be there. Maybe the reason why people also didn't show up was because of the drama behind the scene. But I, I think, uh, as I said before, give it, give it a three to five years and people might have different, a different view on it. I, I've admitted myself towards that about a lot of films. So we'll, we'll see. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not I'm definitely not deterred from the concept and I'm very definitely not deterred by Olivia Wilde as a director, because I do think I mean, back to the don't worry, darling conversation. But I do think she grew as a director because of this. She there is definitely a a growth in camera work and just general scene shot set up and construction. So, I mean, like, I love that. I just I think I resonate more with the coming of age stories. And I think she did a better job at resonating with the coming of age story than she did doing this uh, like otherworldly sci fi thriller. But like you said, I'll still go about watching her third film. You got to respect when people take a swing, you have to respect it. And it doesn't work all the time. I mean, even some of my favorite directors, I haven't liked some of their more well appreciated films. And I can at least admit to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yes, with that, that is going to be our podcast for the week. We'll leave you with with the same thing as always. Our our quick recommendations for something we watched lately. Uh, Brent, you go ahead and go first, because I still got to figure out what I'm going to say. I part of me was like, wait a minute, did I talk about this last week? But I kind of uh, I know that I didn't. Um uh, but yeah, my uh, I'll go ahead and recommend. Uh, I rewatched uh, Train Day, and if you haven't seen that movie in, at all, or if you know, it's been a while for a rewatch, but that movie is fucking amazing. Denzel is truly one of the greatest uh, of our time. Uh, appreciate that while we still can. I'm already like going through some of his filmography, and like it's been a while since I've rewatched that, and I'm gonna do it. Um, Training Day, one best actor, one of his best performance for a villain and i mean the film is just awesome gritty it's my style of of yeah it's it's so cool um fun fact training day is uh something i have on dvd from netflix when they used to deliver dvds and i never sent it back but have you seen it? No, I've not watched it. It's it is sitting in the Netflix envelope, and I have yet to crack it open and watch it. But one day, one day, I will pop that bad boy into the player and and give it a watch. But that day is not today. Um, my recommendation is going to be for a film that I watched recently. One, uh. Uh, it's it's a film on a list of movies that I've been slowly checking off my watch list because they're pinnacle in the, the, the world of animations when it comes to, well, animated filmmaking in general. Hayao Miyazaki's Howl's Moving Castle from Studio Ghibli. 
I got to watch for the first time. I, for the longest time, had only seen Spirited Away. And so as they're coming around to theaters, I've been checking them off my list. And this one, I thought the imagination level and the the actual high quality of the animation really fucking just stood out for me for this. The story is fantastic. The character relationships are great. The comedy and humor is all there. And uh, I especially love the voice acting in this. You have Christian Bale and Billy Crystal in this movie, and they both give outstanding productions. So, I mean, if you haven't seen any of the Studio Ghibli films, I do recommend not starting with this one. Maybe starting with a Spirited Away or maybe a My Neighbor Totoro. But this is definitely so worth your time and one of the standouts of that filmography. So definitely worth watching. Right on. But yeah. That is it for this week's episode. We will be back with you next week with hopefully something spooky and hopefully something, uh, some more new movies and a good theme for you. But for this week's episode and for me and for my co-host Brent, we will say so long. <laughs>